millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. To tell you the honest truth, I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. We've missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just, um, like the feeling, I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling, like you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight out of the tree. All we get is a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. My name is Cade Moyer and you are listening to the Believe Paranormal and UFO Podcast. If you have had an encounter and would like to share it, please get in touch with me. My email address is believepod at gmail.com. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen and head on over to our website, believepod.com, and consider becoming a member to get bonus episodes and video content. Tonight, we are joined by a very much returning guest to the podcast. I am, of course, talking about Attila Coldy. He has just got a new documentary, is about to get released, actually, at the time of release of this podcast. It will be out in certain locations around the world. We are, of course, talking about Tracking the Law, Attila's second dip into the world of the Yowie. Attila, welcome back to the podcast, mate. Hey, Kate. Thanks for having me. It is great to have you here, mate. I always love it when you come on, and I always get a little bit worried because all my gear usually goes a little bit crazy when I talk to you. And uh, <laughs> I was actually I was actually talking to a friend the other day saying I was a little bit scared about having you on the podcast because... I'm up to my third or fourth podcast recorder, and it always seems to go crazy when I talk to you. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> Mate, whatever you're doing, I like it because it, it kind of shows that the uh, the weird and the wonderful does follow you. And, uh, mate, your uh, your recent documentary is is full of the weird and the wonderful, not to give away too much of it. But, mate, can you give those listening a little bit of a rundown of your uh, your second venture into the world of the Yowie with Tracking the Law? Absolutely, Cade. Look, um, this was a uh, an accident, to be honest, because um, after finished uh, filming uh, Track Search for Australia's Bigfoot, I was looking at having a bit of a break, at least six or eight months. But um, And then uh, basically the fires happened and um, it, was, it was a tragic incident. And um, But from, from the ashes, there was also a, a curious question that was, that was going through my mind. And the question was, what 
is actually happening with the Australian Yowies, you know, the the, the large guys and the small guys. Uh, so um, basically what I did is I, I just put a pen to, pen to paper and I started writing a, a production plan on it. And uh, I actually pitched it to my wife first and she said, that's a fantastic idea. You should do something about that. Um, and I also wanted to expand a little bit more on the story and and by that i mean expand on its origins and the connection with land and the connection with the indigenous people of australia because i don't think there's been enough told about their stories and their connection with uh with the forest folk and um it was quite a, a tragic um period for me especially straight after the fires and when we were going when we were allowed to go into the national parks because the parks were closed for a very long time um because of deadfall and, and and everything else but we managed to to get to certain places and especially on the places that we we visited and filmed that and and to see the devastation was absolutely heartbreaking um you know uh, the the animals uh you know and the 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 beautiful scenery though um just the actual bush itself and a lot of that a lot of those sceneries that we had before the fires will never come back to the way they were or if they do um mate there'll be it'll be decades before they they regenerate to to wait to, to at least the way they were beforehand so to see all that um i actually went down south because there were parts down south that were hit really really bad and um and actually met up with a you know, I was introduced to a um uh an elder down there and his wife and uh we became really good friends over time and they suffered greatly from the fires uh, just like a lot of other people and they lost almost everything if not everything they had a little community center going down there an indigenous community center in um in the rainforest and you know um Noel had his uh, his uh, the elder. He had his workshop there, and he was he was doing some lovely craft work, some really nice um, cultural artwork, and um, and all that just got basically burned to nothing. And uh, he had to start all over again. So uh, there's there's a big story around that about why the fires happened, um, why we think the fires happened. And this is looking through the eyes of the indigenous elders, and I interviewed. Um, three. I actually interviewed two elders, and I interviewed a few people from who are, who are First Nation people. And one of them is an author um, who I interviewed, and, and people who are, uh, are interested in the the Australian Aboriginal and Indigenous culture um, will probably recognise um, Bruce Pascoe's name, who wrote Dark Emu. I actually interviewed Bruce because uh, I read his book, and it was a fascinating book. It's about uh, his findings and. And not just his findings, but findings around Australia. It's extremely controversial, but a lot of the stuff that's in his book makes sense about the the um, how evolved the, the indigenous culture were before uh, the Europeans settled here, and and the complexity of 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 their society, um, which was completely overlooked. So we go from that, um, and. Um, I interview Noel. I actually go down to down south coast and I interview him at his, at his where his house was, and um, and we start talking about you know about the fires and what happened and what would be the best thing to do. And all this is actually covered in the documentary. We also interview a, a university professor who uh, who deals with um, 
with with uh, with um, uh, well with bushfires and uh, exactly that. Now he's he's involved with um, with with the natural habitat and obviously with uh, disasters. So there's a specific field that I, I for the life of me I can't remember it. But um, he was at Wollongong University, so I also interviewed him to get his opinion on this whole thing. And all this kind of marries together. But then we get to the the ultimate question, you know, what what happens to you know the the forest folk to the Yowies with with fires like this? Because, you know, you talk to indigenous people, and they will tell you that that in their history, in their oral history, that there's no mention of of such devastation. I mean, bushfires have always been part of Australia, right? We we know that for sure. Even before you know, Europeans settled here, fires were always happened in this country. But not to the extent, not to the ferocity that that these fires actually ripped through, you know, houses, communities, um, the the national parks, the wilderness, and just reshaped everything. So we we start talking about this, and then we actually go out to a location which, luckily enough, wasn't damaged by the fires. And and this location, only a handful of people have actually seen it. Most of the people have actually seen it have been Indigenous people, but Europeans, probably about only a handful who've actually seen this. And most of them, um, I think, were um, National Park Rangers. But it's a, it's a sacred spot, and we go out there, and, and I was given permission to actually film there. And this is an art gallery where where um, uh, the ancestors of, of, of Noel and, and the other elder, Phil, um, dates back to about 12,000 years. So their ancestors actually created this art gallery. And in this art gallery, you can see some really sort of some detailed abstract uh, drawings, but you can also see drawings of of something that depicts a Yowie with its arms raised up and a group of people who also have their arms raised up who apparently are, you know, the ancestors who are responding to to the Yowie. So they actually go into it and talk about their connection um, and how deep it's actually rooted in their culture. Um, uh, but that that really has has great value in, in my point of view anyway. Um, and I know that that uh, a good uh, friend of mine, John, who's actually been on your podcast, he's also a First Nation uh, um uh, well, he's he's also First Nation heritage, but he's also he he really was very happy the way uh, it was presented, and I've also presented this to the to the elders down south, and they're very very happy the way it was all presented. So it's um it, it gives you an insight um, to the indigenous side of things, but also we we venture out and try to look for for evidence and and for any kind of life signs of of the Yowies up in the Blue Mountains and some of the other places that we previously had um, indirect contact with these uh, with these forest folks and it appears that the Blue Mountains have have basically flatlined because as uh, one of the uh, one of the guys in the documentary who was a, a friend of mine also Tony Jinks uh, he um, he used to be uh, well. I'm not sure if he's actually still a firefighter, but he's he's a volunteer firefighter. But he's also a, a professor of psychology with a neuroscience background. But I actually took him out there, and and the way he described it was a moonscape, and and I think he nailed it to the T because that's what it looked like. It looked like basically the 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 ash was was so thick that when you stepped on it, it, it basically your foot sunk into the ground um, and they were just remnants of trees and and who knows what else. And the devastation was incredible. 
But then we go hunting for signs. So we end up going to Queensland and, and meeting up with the guys uh, at AYR. And they were fantastic. Uh, they took us to the location um, where Buck actually filmed uh, with a thermal imaging camera. Two Yowies actually coming down. Uh, Gary also filmed uh, one, I think, the previous week with, with Dean. So, yeah, the guys actually took us out. We had we actually did a quite a detailed interview with, uh, with AYR and going out to location just to see what they do. And so also the people who actually haven't seen uh, how AYR conduct their work and, and to the actual extent that these guys go to to find evidence is just incredible. Um, and then we come back down further south um, to um, Barrington Tops. Now, we, funny enough, we actually had an expedition um, arranged to go back to Barrington Tops, but unfortunately about a week before our trip, I got a call from the National Parks Ranger telling us that a big sinkhole opened up and, and basically swallowed half the road there. So we couldn't go back. But we did have – I ended up going north and interviewing um, a researcher, Katie Austin, who is uh, who runs the Australian Cryptozoology Tribe. And she had some remarkable recordings of, of, of something that, that stood up um in the scrubs and something that looked like morphed or disappeared into into the darkness it was really really bizarre but the one the 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 actual creature that stood up you can definitely tell that it's something that of big mass had a massive back and it was actually holding something in its hand so actually we we interview katie and we uh we have a sample of that video on the documentary as well so these are some of the journeys that we, we end up taking um, as looking for science. You know, we interviewed Gary uh, Opet again, uh, and he he gives us feedback about, you know, did these, um, uh, did the Yowies, you know, um, migrate to, to, to other areas or would have they stayed in their own region? Uh, and, I mean, obviously he refers to them as mammalian carnivals and carnivals, as, as, as we know it, they don't migrate. They have their own region, they have their own territory, and they, they cover that territory quite well, um, and they rarely venture outside of their own zone. So if that's the case, then, um, yeah, uh, I really hope that that um, that the, 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 the forest folk that we had or the, the presence that we had beforehand, and I really hope that they weren't wiped out because uh, the fires in the mountains in certain places were, were, were extremely severe. So we, we cover a large area, but the essence of it is is that we, we go from a, a disaster zone all the way to looking for signs. And obviously we also went to the Pilligas looking for, for signs of, of, of Yowie activity on the thought that, um, you know, that they may have, did they migrate? Did they migrate up north, south or wherever? So we actually wanted something. We wanted some kind of evidence to see what happened to the Australian Yowie. And that's all part of the documentary. Yeah. And I think it raises a, a really good question, you know, because the Australia is made to burn, but these were a once in a lifetime disaster. This the the bushfires that happened have absolutely decimated the landscape, like you said, and these were essentially an unstoppable force that kind of just ripped through a good, I would almost say, a quarter 
of of Australia there. It was it was an absolutely gigantic landmass that, that was basically alight for weeks and weeks and weeks. And the amount of damage and the amount of loss that happened in there is just really unfathomable because the the scale of it is the scale of it is just impossible to comprehend at the end of the day. And if you think of how much wildlife was just lost in there, the thought of these these creatures potentially being lost in there as well is it's really quite a possibility. Absolutely, Kate. I think it is because um, look, I mean, regardless how how well in tune you are with nature, um, the way these fires went um, and the sudden shift in wind uh, caused these fires to actually spread exponentially and um they they just covered a massive area as you say and i think a lot of the areas that we don't have access to that we haven't really seen i don't think that we've we've personally as civilians have seen the full extent of the damage uh, the only the only damages that we've seen really are places that we can go to but i think deep in the wilderness where uh, a lot of these fires did rage um i dare say that there are parts there that i don't think we'll ever recover um, and it's 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 devastating to think about that because you know the amount of wildlife that that's lost there. Um, you know we, I mean, there's so much. I mean, a lot of our species um, are uh, are endangered, and um, you know we really need to start thinking about looking after you know our landscape because you know um, without preservation we're going to lose so much and we're never going to get it back. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. It's it's truly heartbreaking, and the the amount of habitats that were just destroyed in in minutes is it's truly heartbreaking. And mm. one one thing that really kind of struck home for me with with your documentary, and you kind of covered that there earlier, is the fact that you get this truly unique Indigenous point of view about everything that's kind of happened. Because that's almost a a culture that that has a a history that's really only passed through vocabulary. That's right, exactly, exactly. Um, some of the stories are told, I guess, in in uh, some artwork, um, but most of it, yeah, absolutely, it's it's um, it's all handed down orally from generation to generation, and that's another thing that um, you know a lot of these stories. Uh, are going to get lost, and especially when some of these elders um, pass on. And um, you know, there's there's nobody in a lot of instances. There's there's nobody who they can, who they can tell this story to. That can actually nurture those stories and and share it with the world to make sure that it's immortalised. There are a lot of places that you know that um, that these stories get documented, and and that's great. And I think that there should be more of that happening because. Um, yeah, you know, these stories teach us a very, very valuable lesson. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the things that I, I, I love and hate about Australia is the fact that the, um, the indigenous culture is so amazing, but I feel like we almost don't get to know about it nearly anywhere enough because it is just some of the most rich history that will ever exist on the planet. The mm. indigenous. Uh, community within Australia has essentially been here for hundreds of thousands of years, if not longer. And mm. the the amount of knowledge that is just kind of passed down from generation to generation 
doesn't get enough celebration in in my humble opinion. No, and I think I think there needs to be more focus on that, Cade. And I think that um, from a political point of view, I think there needs to be more focus on that, and, and there needs to be more acceptance. Um, I mean, I think that we are slowly changing, but I don't think that change is happening fast enough. And it's almost almost like, for example, cultural burnings, and uh, like up north, uh, up your way, actually, um, there's a lot of cultural burning going on up there, you know, and, uh, and, and these cultural burnings are being taught to, you know, to, to the next generation, um, you know, First Nation people, but also to to people who uh, who manage the fires there too. Um, so, and, and it's valuable information. You know, th- these are things that that you know I feel that you know, um, and we, we again we touched that on in the documentary um, about how we feel. Or anyway, I feel that you know that um, land management needs to be handed back to. Um, to the indigenous uh, people, to the to the elders, but I think a, a joint operation. This is what the the um, the, the professor who uh, who I interviewed actually said that uh, he doesn't feel that the, because of the vast areas of Australia, he says that the way this would work is that there would be, you know, if if there'd be a joint operation between more um, contemporary form of um, fire management or land management. Uh, to work alongside with the indigenous uh, cultural burnings, and you know, together we could learn so much. Uh, I guess we could learn as Europeans more so than than I guess um, you know the indigenous peoples. I've been doing that for hundreds of thousands of years, but we'd learn so much from that. So when to do these burnings and and how to do it, um, you know, because they've been looking after the land for for so long. And there are records of when uh, when Europeans first came here, and and some of the records state that some of these places that they went to in the wilderness looked like parks. You know, the the, the native grass was growing um, at a uh, you know at a, at a manageable height. It looked like it was all landscaped. Um, it was just the way the land was managed. It was it was to get rid of all that overgrowth or sorry that undergrowth. Um, that would be invasive, and, and they just basically manage it so well that, uh, and those large uh, eucalyptus trees that actually provided the the, the coverage, and um, they didn't burn. Obviously, they they uh, they burnt all the scrub around it, but these large eucalyptus trees, because of their sheer size, you know, uh, they were able to withstand that heat. But look, I mean, that, that all this is is actually in um, Bruce's um, book, uh, Dark Emu, but. Hundred percent. Look, I think that there's there needs to be more emphasis put on 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 uh, indigenous cultural practices than there is at the moment. Yeah, and I think just the the viewpoint that they have is is rather unique and rather um, special in the way that they they would just have this incredible knowledge of creatures like the Yowie that we wouldn't have because essentially mm. we just haven't been here for that. And now a quick word from our sponsor. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Also, are you wanting more content? 
why not become a Believe Plus member? You'll get access to exclusive podcasts and episodes that aren't available to the public. Not only that, you'll also get our regular feed without any ads. Head to believepod.com forward slash plus to sign up today for just $5 a month. No, that's right. And I think the the, the interesting perspective that they've uh, that the elders actually uh, describe in the documentary it tells us um, some of the telltale signs that even, you know, some some you know European people who've actually been out um, looking for Yowies have actually encountered. And um, but their approach is very different. Um, you know, where we tend to push the the envelope, but um, the uh, because the um, the indigenous people um, would obviously they they work together with with the forest people. Um, they had their respected boundaries, so. Um, they kind of worked side by side. They, each of them knew what to do when it came to land management or, or creating that balance um, in the environment. And uh, it, it worked very, very well. And this is just what the feedback that I was uh, that I got back from the elders. It was a very, very well-balanced uh, ecosystem or environment that we had uh, in this country. But that all changed, obviously, after um, colonisation happened. Yeah, and the there's something that I wish we would, like, really take on board is like how the the american i guess public has really integrated the the indigenous people of the americas within their almost everyday cultural beliefs is that that's just part of their their lives now and there's there's no really second guessing it or anything like that it's just this is how it is and it just works really well and that's coming from a complete third point of view from from where I am, but from what I understand, that has a really good knock-on effect into, you know, these really niche subjects like the paranormal and Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Skinwalkers, things like that. Oh, 100%. I mean, there's there's so much that we can learn from from these people because um, ultimately, and, and this is this is a discussion that, that I had um, uh, with, with a friend of mine is that, when when we got into the wilderness, we come from a noisy background, from a noisy environment. You know, we work and we sometimes work in an office, you know, where we use a traffic, we listen to television, you know, we're not used to this this solitude, this this quietness that you'd get when you go into the wilderness. Um, and sometimes we need to learn to listen and pay attention to to the road signs. And I think most of us tend to overlook all that. And you know, it's it's. I think that adopting the way, um, you know, that the First Nation people uh, approached all this, and it doesn't matter what we're dealing with, what kind of crypto that we're dealing with. I think that one is is that that the respect needs to be given to the land and to whatever is lingering in the wilderness, and and two is to be observant and to be actually to quieten ourselves down because I know. Out of my own experience, if I go into, let's say, up to the mountains and, you know, coming out from noise and you're trying to settle down into a quiet environment, you have this ringing in your ear, you know. It's like it's almost like tinea, you know. You have this this ringing in your ear and um, uh, and it takes a little while before that actually goes away and you start to entune yourself. But but I do believe that that there's so much more out there, apart from Yowies that, uh, and Bigfoot, that we we can learn a lot from, but there is. It's funny because there's so much 
um, comparison, like this, 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 there's so much similarities between the Native American stories and and the Australian Indigenous stories, um, and especially with with Bigfoot, um, Skinwalkers. I, I don't know because I haven't actually looked into it. Um, but then we have these 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 dogmen encounters now uh, that may have been around for a long, long time. But um, you know, we don't know what they are. But again, you know, we have those stories in America too. So there's so many similarities between the two nations that um, it's 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 almost uncanny. Yeah, and it, it's really exciting. Like you said, the there is more dogman encounters happening over here in Australia, and I don't know if that's because more people are talking about it because say one person comes out and talks about it. Other people are starting to talk about their encounters because I always say to people that dogman encounters are one of the most difficult things to, to talk about because you, you try to articulate the fact that you're essentially seeing something that most people would just uh, connect with a werewolf almost sounds a little bit ludicrous at the end of the day. Well, exactly, but like a lot of the stories um, that you hear, um, that they 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 do seem to resemble that because of the the human like characteristics of these creatures. Um, I know that that um, when I was in Europe, and, and I've, I've I've spoken about this before, that um, you know we had an encounter there where my son actually saw. I had a full-blown, um, you know, experience with, with one of these creatures over in Europe and it was looking down at our car. And its head was out of proportion with its body. I didn't actually see the animal. I saw it cross the road. But, look, for me, that was enough for me to, to, to think, okay, well, where do you draw the line with the fantastic, you know, I mean – People, people are seeing, you know, Bigfoot, Yowies, you know, people are seeing all sorts of weird stuff. You know, they're seeing things in the sky. They're seeing weird stuff in the ground. I know over the 20-odd years that I've been dealing doing this kind of stuff, Kate, that I've seen so many weird stuff that people would find it very difficult to, to digest, really, some of these stories because they're so bizarre and so out there. But when you start having multiple witnesses, you know, that's where you start thinking, okay, well, we need to start paying attention to this kind of stuff because, you know, ultimately, you know, you can put it down to, you know, um, to um, auto-suggestion, but when you have people who see the same thing and they react the same way and describe the same thing, um, I think we can throw that theory out the window. So, yeah, there's, there's so much weirdness out there in this world. I mean, where do we draw the line, Kate? That's, that's my question, you know, with what, where do we draw the line? And I think if we draw a line, the line would move because the, <laughs> honestly, I think it would, because I think, you know, the, the human mind is this very, it's an incredible thing. And, you know, there's, there's almost this like wishing of things into existence and it, it really opens up Pandora's box because literally nothing is off the cards. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I mean, you've interviewed me now a few times and I've told, you know, a few of the experiences that I've had and also the people that I've been with. And, you know, it's it's just, you know, you, you look back over the years and think, my goodness me, you know, I mean, you know, people have seen, you know, everything from rake-like creatures. I mean, I've seen something that resembled a, a small humanoid that appeared to levitate, for goodness sakes, you know. I mean, it's it's, you know, when you start, experiencing stuff like that and when you start hearing stories from other people who are genuine and, and they were there with you you know um you know it's it's just 
yeah, there's there's something else in this world. There's something going on, and I don't know if we've actually, I don't know if some people have actually decoded what's going on yet, or maybe we are looking in the wrong direction. I don't know. It's 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 one of those tough ones um, because. Um, I guess the, the more you look into it, and we had this discussion before, the more you look into it, the more uh, questions you're going to have. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You know, we were talking before we kind of hit record and I kind of said to you that I can't go down, I can't go looking for this stuff because the rabbit holes will suck you in and then where where do you stop? You don't. No, absolutely. You just keep falling and falling and you just – you know, you, you you lose yourself in it, and your your perception of reality of, of your everyday life starts to fade away, and you start to neglect people around you, and and you just you know I've seen so many people fall into that rabbit hole, and, and I'm I'm one of those people too. I've been there too, so I know exactly what it's like, and it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant at all. Um, it's it's a, it's a blind pursuit of of something that. You probably will never find the answers to, and and like I said before, the only thing that you have is more questions. Um, so you can keep going until you know your last breath. But uh, some of us might be lucky enough to to find maybe a hint of what we're looking for, maybe some understanding, or maybe some form of, I guess, some kind of information that may resemble an answer to us. But is that really going to be enough? The hunger is always there. When you've got a curious mind. So you have to be careful what you feed it. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Very true. Kat, I I I didn't mention something that's absolutely important and vital in this documentary, that this is the first time I actually interviewed a very well-known podcaster. Yeah, I was kind of tiptoeing around that. I was, I was going to leave that to be a, uh, a little bit of a surprise. But I, um, I do have to let you know that I, I am in this documentary. It is very exciting for me. And it gave me a, a very humble moment that I could show to one of my friends who is an absolute movie buff that I now have an, a listing on IMDb. And I'm going to mm. print that, frame it, and give it to him for Christmas. <laughs> Oh goodness me, mate! That was fantastic. It was it was a tough one because, and you did a really good job. Um, and and for the good people out there, when they see it, Kate actually filmed himself, so he did a really good job with lighting, um, with depth of field, everything. He just did a fantastic job with audio, um, and uh, we it was a, a remote interview, which I've never done in my life before. It was just really weird, but it was. It was a, a fantastic experience because I was on the other end. Um, we we're doing a Zoom call, I think it was, and I was asking the questions and he was, he was looking at me on a laptop <laughs> and he had everything all set up in his studio. So, mate, it was really well done. Yeah, it turned out really well and it, it was a really fun experience. For me, it was kind of like a, a gelling of both worlds. It was, it was like doing a, a podcast, but I was on the other end. It, it was unique but- for me, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is it like to be interviewed? That's right, on the other side of the table. Um, uh, I know I don't like it. I don't like um, having a camera in my face. I, 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 yeah, I'm more. I like being behind the camera, not in front of it. So that's why I struggled a lot with this one as well, because I actually had my daughter help me 
who's in film school, um, but she was the one who actually helped me with the filming of my interview in it because I, I, yeah, I know I've had a few people and Don and, and my wife and my daughter even say, um, and I think even you said it as well, Cade, that, look, you need to be in front of the camera for this one. Um, so, um, and, yeah, I kind of listened to that and uh, went with the went with the punches, went with the role. Um, but yeah, it was look, it was interesting. Um, but it is interesting because you, you're not on the other side of the camera, so it's very, very hard to like uh, when I was being interviewed. That um, you know, you, you you're trying to be conscientious about lighting and everything else, and make sure that the camera is set up right. You know, I'm asking a million questions to my daughter. Have you got that set? Yep, you got that set up. Audio's running. Yep, how's the audio? Good, no problems at all. Dad, shut up and just get on with the interview. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know what i i really did enjoy that part of the of the documentary because you see a lot of documentaries and they they may have like a someone doing a a narrative or a voiceover for it but you're you're kind of in the in the driver's seat for it and you really do control the the documentary quite well and um the it's almost like everything is from your perspective you're the you're the storyteller and you're taking us on the journey because uh, a bit of a spoiler alert i've i've had a chance to to see the doco before it got released so thank you very much for the early access but it it is such an impressive piece of work and it's just done in such a a way where you pay so much attention to every aspect of it and give everyone their their real chance to to shine i think it's an incredible piece of work that you've done here atella i appreciate it mate i think uh, look i mean the credit really in, uh, goes towards the people who contributed their time and their efforts um and and you know and their, their their own resources their own sort of you know uh, pieces of evidence um and they're the ones who actually made the documentary um how it is but i think it's very important for us to to get aussie content out there and i keep harping on about that i I'm, I'm a, you know, a big believer of, of having Australian stories told, um, you know, regardless what they are. And obviously being in, having this 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 undying interest of, of the unexplained, I, I just feel an obligation to to keep on keeping on and keep telling or getting, finding people to tell these stories. It's fantastic stories. So not only people in Australia can can listen to them and, and appreciate their, uh, these people's encounters, but also understand that Australia is is also one of those places um, in the world that actually has a lot of interesting things going on. Um, and look, you never know, might even you know, attract more people from the States to come over for a holiday. You just don't know. But, I mean, the intention is, is really is to get those stories out and to immortalise these stories. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. You know, Australia does have this incredible history that just doesn't get told um, in in the way that it should like you said, over in the United States and, and, you know, other places around the world that uh, these types of documentaries and stories kind of get told almost on a weekly basis. It almost feels like there's a new uh, Bigfoot or, or kind of Sasquatch documentary out at any time. But over here, it, it, it's very limited. So, you know, I think it's I think it's really great, and I think it's really eye opening to the the general public to to show them, hey, this is kind of going on in our backyard. Uh, absolutely, hundred percent, Kate. Um, 
yeah, I don't think there's, like I said, I don't think there's enough content. I do, you know, encourage that to, you know, for people out there who are filmmakers is to sort of look more into this, these type of stories and just keep telling these stories because that's how these are going to be documented and remembered, you know, um, and not just in a small circle, but, you know, in, in, an, in areas where, you know, uh, you have a global reach um, and, um, you know, where, where people from around the world can actually appreciate you know, what this country is all about. And funny enough, you know, I've had people from the States uh, letting, uh, asking me, you know, just sort of more like saying, well, you know, we didn't know that, you know, Australia had these types of forests or mountainous regions. Some people thought that Australia was mainly all desert landscape. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, look, I mean, they've never been here, you know, and for, for someone who, who doesn't travel, you know, I could kind of, get that why they think that australia you know the small the limited amount of information that they the people all have is that this is a sunburned country and that's it's as dry as hell and you know everything's out there to get us but um in actual fact we've got some of the most beautiful you know landscapes in the world you know i mean if you're in australia i mean why would you want to go anywhere else because we've got just about everything here you know from from up up your end you know beautiful lush rainforests and you've got the beautiful mountainous regions of the great dividing range and and the um you know the, the the valleys down south and 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 oh mate just just yeah you know, I'm keep I'm, I'm harping on about it but we've got the beautiful desert landscape in central australia and you got you know tasmania which is almost a completely different you know uh, environment on its own but it's just yeah it's just an amazing country it really is oh it really is you you're so right about that i always say that you know the the best holiday you can have in australia is in your backyard because it is the best country in the world and I know I'm being completely biased about that, but you, you absolutely nailed it on the head. We, we've got some of the best landscapes and the best adventures that you'll be able to ever go on. Oh, absolutely. Oh, 100%. Like the the expeditions that we've taken uh, with the guys, you know, and uh, even Yowie Dan, who's, who's part of the documentaries, is actually quite instrumental with, with this one as well as he's helped me sort of, um, you know, um, um, he was actually helping me put uh, or connect me with people uh, with uh, who've had some interesting stories and and you know experiences. But you know Dan and I and uh, have, have been to a few places down. Even with John, we've been going to some really really interesting places and places I wouldn't have gone otherwise. And I dare say some of the places that we've went to is off the beaten track. You know, down the side of this this mountainous place is, you know, making our own paths and tracks and then coming into these incredible places where there's waterfalls, there's creeks and, and these massive fern trees. It's almost like you're stepping back into the Cretaceous period. You know, the first thing you're looking for is where's the dinosaur? You know, it's just such a beautiful place. And we have so many beautiful places like that in Australia. It's just, it's, places that haven't really been explored, but I've had the privilege of doing a lot of that stuff and I wouldn't have done it um, anywhere else, you know. Um, so, yeah, look, mate, I 100% agree. It is, it is a breathtaking country, but we have a lot of really weird stuff, a lot of weird stories that come out from here. And I mean that in the most, in, in the most respectful way, strange and unexplained stuff that come out from this country. And I think all you need to do is just dig deep enough and then you will find some some real gems out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I completely agree with you about basically everything you've said there. And it really does kind of lead me. I'm going to ask you a bit of a loaded question here, Attila, because, you know, this is your, your second round into the, the world of, the Yowie within your within your documentary journeys. 
what's the what have you learned that you you didn't really know before because the the thing with the doco is that it usually takes you through a bit of a an internal journey yourself and i imagine that this one with the amount of time and the amount of effort and the amount of work that you really put into it really would have taken you on a on your own kind of journey in that whole process Oh, absolutely, Kate. I mean, uh, this this went on for two and a half years and obviously largely because of the COVID situation that we had um, and also weather dictated a lot of our movements too. But um, look, mate, without this documentary, I I don't think I'd be the person I am today because with the people I've met, you know, and and these people have taught me so much, you know, um, their own life experiences. But, 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 I've also had a, got a deeper understanding uh, of of country um, of of the indigenous culture, and I look at it completely different. You know, um, I, I was you know accepted as a brother in with 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 the elders, and for me that was one of the greatest respects I could ever imagine. You know, and um, and that connection with land and with culture is so deep. Um, it's it's just. It's really, really hard to express in common terminology. It, it really, it, this connection that you have is just, I don't know, gives you a perspective, a deeper perspective of when you go out into, into the wilderness and when you go out in amongst the trees and, and the animals and everything else, you see everything differently. Um, it's almost like you've opened up a third eye or a sixth sense. I don't know how to actually put this, but you see the world, the environment differently, and you respect it in a completely different way as well. You just have this next level. It's almost like leveling up. Um, that's only the way I can put it. It's, it's a very deep and a very personal um, experience. And I think that, yes, it does uh, – it does elevate that additional sensory, that additional sort of sixth sense um, within one one's um, being, I guess. Like I said, it's very, very hard to sort of describe, but it, it does give you a very, very deep and meaningful insight into our, into our world that we have here, uh, into this beautiful country. It's truly fascinating, and it's always fantastic to talk to you, mate, because every time I talk to you, I, I feel like I get enlightened. And and I'm not even joking. I honestly I feel like I do because you just have this incredible sense of, I guess, how the the weirdness in our world, and I mean that in in full respect of how the weirdness works and how you can translate that into not only something that's uh, an enjoyable documentary, but something that is actually uh, knowledge building as well, which I think is so important. Hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I, I look. I really hope that we've I've, I've achieved that, and um, and I really hope that the people who watch it will enjoy it because um, look, I, I yeah, it was a lot of hard work, but the people who who contributed to it definitely um, created this 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 unique perspective that that I've never actually you know have have sort of done before. So um, I really hope people will enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. And before I let you shoot off, mate, where can people uh, find out more about this documentary and where can they watch it? 
Yes. Well, um, if you're in Australia and you have a VPN, you can pretty much access it um, on Amazon, um, iTunes, Apple TV, um, and a whole host of other platforms that it's going on. Um, I've only recently found out that the um, iTunes uh, access for Australia is not available, which really upset me because the whole idea with, the, with our distributor was is to make it available in Australia. But at this point in time, I'm still working on that. So it's okay because, look, if, if, if there is no access on the release date on the 7th of December, um, we will do something. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that, you know, the Aussie audience also get a bite of this. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Believe Paranormal and UFO podcast. If you have had an encounter and you would like to share it, please get in touch with me. My email address is believepod at gmail.com. Finally, don't forget to follow us on all our social media outlets and be sure to join our Discord server to talk to other listeners of the show. You'll find all these links in our show notes. Thank you. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.